take me back when I was a kid. Never had to worry about what I did. But I'm a man now. What's the plan now? Gotta get it done. No time for fun now. Take me back. What up, Mike Young, back in action, stories that need to be told, sitting here in studio with an old friend, and I don't mean old because he's old, but <laughs> we've known each other for literally 18 years, I believe. It's been a long time. And it's my boy, Jay Davis, and when you ha talk about classic, one day they're going to write books about the classic shit that went down in Hollywood, like... You know how you always, you know, you read books like, man, Sinatra and his boys used to sip whiskey and do this and that. There will be a chapter that somebody will write, and Jay Davis will be the title of a chapter because you did not do stand-up comedy in Los Angeles over the last 20 years if you did not come through a Jay Davis room. So thanks for being here, bro. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I've been doing these shows forever. I remember walking out of a, a show... Um, Back in the day with you, and just when I first was starting, I remember you. We were doing these mics, and uh, there was a show there where the guy, f what, what's that uh, rockabilly band? That famous rockabilly band, uh, like man. the like the like the uh, flocking flock of seagulls. Or no, like no, the rockabilly, rockabilly. You you know rockabilly bands? No, no. All you're right. from South Florida. Nobody anyway, knows it was the drummer, this this famous rockabilly, the most famous rockabilly band of the '80s. He, he owned that bar on the Sunset Strip for a while, where Rock and Riley's is now. Oh yeah, it yeah, was yeah. a little bar there. Yeah, and we did a show there one night like years ago, and I remember walking out and getting advice from you on comedy, and I was like, dude, how do you write your jokes? So so your jokes are great, man. <laughs> Thanks. How do you do that? You know, you, all, Mike's always had great joke writing skills and. But that well, was a fun night up there. Jay Davis had rooms. I mean, look, well, let's we, we let's take it all the way back. I don't know what your first room was, but your first big room to me was obviously Dublin's. And I know you've probably talked about this before, but everybody from Chappelle to Dane Cook to Alonzo Bowden to Ralphie May, and you would it was your room, man. And Jay Davis set up set up Dublin's on Sunset. It was called, what was it called? Like rock and com, com rock comedy? Well, actually, you're, you're mixing two shows into one. But Perfect. The first, the first show I ever did uh, was the Dublin show, the one that I produced myself with Ahmed Ahmed. Yeah. Uh, the two of us uh, got together and put that together, and uh, it became a legendary comedy night. And that was the first show. That's the first time I ever produced a show. I just said, I got to do this. Not, you know, I'm getting old. I was 31 at the time. I'm like, 31 starting comedy. I better start my own room because nobody's going to book me. You know what <laughs> I mean? And I'm not standing in that open mic line for like, that's back when you had to stand in the line on Tuesdays at uh, Jamie Masada's Laugh Factory and to sign up for three minutes and with no crowd. I'm like, if I'm going to bring the crowd, I might as well just start it at my own venue. Yo, what made that place so hot? Because there were times, there were times when you're doing that show and you look out in the audience and boom, there's Timberlake and his band in sync, right? That was in yeah. sync at the yeah. time. And I'm like, what is going on? Jake Davis has found a way to make comedy cool. And that's why everybody was always trying to come to your room. What? How, how'd that kick off like that? Well, I have to tell you, you know what it is? I came out here at 18 years old and um, basically started as a bellman at the St. James Club, which is now like that, you know, that old Art Deco hotel, the Hollywood Hotel. It was it's, it's, it was called it's Argyle. The it's, it's the Phoenix Yeah, it's, it's right across the street from where uh, Saddle Ranch is now. Yep. But, uh, you know, I started working there at 18. I just wasn't making a lot of money. And I remember, man, this sucks. I'm making like 30 bucks in tips, 50 bucks max, working eight-hour shifts. You know, I want to be an actor at the time. And um, I just started thinking, damn, this sucks, man. And I looked in the paper for like new jobs because back then there was no computers. You couldn't go to Craigslist and find a job. You'd go into the, the paper and look through classifieds to see what jobs are available. And I just saw this one stood out and just said, new nightclub opening. You know, I'm like 19. I'm like, damn. How cool would it be to work at a nightclub? You're like, there'd probably be hot chicks there. Like, yeah. that'd be fun. It's like the movie The Jerk. That's how Steve Martin got his first gig. Right. Yeah, so I was like, I look, and, and you know, when I worked at this hotel, I would, uh, you know, it was, I would be the only bellman on staff, but you're almost like a door, you'd stand in the lobby, so you'd meet all the guests. There was only like 20 rooms in the 
hotel. And this, I remember this one guy was a really good-looking black guy that was staying there. And I remember his name. I'm just a people person. I was like, Mr. Johnson, how are you today? He's like, hey, it's good you remember my name. Nice to meet you. And he come back, and I hope you had a great day, Mr. Johnson. He's like, thanks, man. And then, like, a week after, the guy stayed in the hotel for, like, a week at a time. And uh, I go to this address um, from the classifieds for this nightclub opening. This is nightclub opening. I put a tie on because my dad always said, you want to get a job, you put a tie on, you know? So Old I put school. the tie on. I walk into this place, and um, there's Mr. Johnson from the hotel that I, <laughs> I was just bumming. And he sees me. He goes, hey, you're dressed nice. What are you doing over here? I go, hey, you know anybody looking for a bellman? <laughs> and he goes, what do you mean by that? I go, because they're going to be needing a bellman because you're going to hire me here. You're, this, he goes, because he goes, I own this place. I go, oh, you own this nightclub? I go, you'll be hiring me then. <laughs> and he goes, what? He goes, I go, yeah, you're going to have to find someone to replace me over at the hotel because I'm going to work for you. And he just starts laughing. Oh, yeah, you're going to work for me? I go, yeah, I saw your ad in the paper. It says you're looking for people. I go, I'm going to work here. And, and, he, and he goes, hold on a second, man. And he goes and gets the manager and... uh Later down the road, the manager told me that, that this guy, Brad Johnson, said, you hire this kid. You know, I wasn't even old enough to be in the nightclub, <laughs> and I'm getting hired to work behind the bar. And they hired me. He goes, I was told to hire you. So uh, I ended up getting the job there, and it was the Roxbury Nightclub, the famous Roxbury Nightclub. Damn, so, I remember. So, I've been in that place. So 19 years old. I mean, that's when, that, you know, there was no cell phones and cameras everybody's a paparazzi today back then the paparazzi there's like one or two paparazzis right one of them thought i was emilio estevez and charlie sheen's little brother which <laughs> i can tell you that story later that's a funny story so <laughs> you, the, got la- it, you got laid off the strength yeah, of that one night. you yeah. rolled with it i rolled with it but uh <laughs> so you know i go and get this job at this roxbury nightclub not knowing that it's that became like the studio 54 of its time it was the nightclub there was like three nightclubs back then and the Roxbury was the hottest nightclub. And that's when celebrities, they went out. You know, nobody's taking pictures of them in the club. Prince would be on the dance floor dancing. Uh, Michael Keaton would be there. Jack Nicholson would be rolling in. The Goodfellas. Jim Carrey, I met him there before he was even on In Living Color. Wow. Everybody was going to this place. And I was working behind the bar. I learned to bartend at a young age from doing that. And... um also learned how to party real well too. Went to a lot of good parties. I met Keanu Reeves and uh, ended up uh, working with his uh, band for a minute, like literally a minute. I, nice. I managed their band for like one one show. That's a whole nother. There's a ton of stories here, Mike. All, all roads but, travel through Jay Davis. How do you end the, up? Yeah, go ahead. But the question is, the reason why I think Dublin's was so hot is I had experience in this Sunset Strip. I mean. I, I, li- I worked there for six or seven years as a bartender, and then I worked, I learned how to do that, and I worked for Brent Boldhouse, who was a big promoter, and I met all these promoters and friends, and I'm a people person, so, you know, so many people would come through the Roxbury, and I would just collect numbers of hot chicks and meet celebrities, and then by knowing all those people, when I met Ahmed Ahmed, he also had a whole nother group of celebrity friends like Vince Vaughn and John Favreau. For all the guys from that movie Swingers that he used to hang out with. So when we collaborated together and brought our celebrity friends in, not chicks that knew we knew, um, it made for the night to kind of pop. Like so, out of, off the just from Jump Street, you had celebrities coming in. Yeah, like at the beginning, like Luke Wilson came to the first three shows I ever promoted at Dublin's. He, I met him at this bar because at the time I started Dublin's, I was one of the managers for Randy Gerber's bar, the whiskey bar at the Sunset Marquee. God, I remember, I remember you, which there. was another hot spot. And like I would meet so many people. I didn't even know the type of people I was meeting. I was meeting like huge industry people and they liked me because I could get them into the bar but that's one reason why I started Dublin's I'm like you know I see all these entertainers and models and rock stars like they're living the life man and uh I'm just sitting here running this bar which no complaints it was the best bar if you're gonna run a bar that was the bar to run I mean it was a hot spot like 80 celebrities my job was to cater to rock stars and models I mean so you were delivering a better job it was great sitting my down Dude, I got to go to, you know, backstage at U2 and Aerosmith. They, they would personally invite me to their shows. 
and hang out. You're like, thanks so shows. much, guys. Yeah. By the way, I'll be doing an eight-minute <laughs> set down the street at Dublin's if you want to come by. And they did. The bass player of Aerosmith came to one of the Dublin shows. I would meet them there, and they're like, that's so cool you're doing comedy. Because I thought, you know what? I came out here to be an entertainer. I'm not entertaining anybody here at this bar. I mean, everybody wants to get in. They're nice. It's a great job. It comes with great perks. But I'm like, you know what? I better build a stage. If if you can't get on a stage, you better build your own stage. And it just kind of hit me. Words of wisdom that I, by the way, live by. I create, I, I love that, Jay. I've been creating my own business for years. That's the smartest move ever. So the whole time you're working in the L.A. hottest nightlife world that you could possibly be in, is there, there's just something in the back of your brain going, I'm getting ready to do stand-up. I'm getting ready to do stand-up. Everyone tells me I'm funny. None of these people know yet, but I'm going to do stand-up. Like, so then when do you finally, you know, how many minutes did well, you even have as a stand-up when you started Dublin's? Well, I'll tell you what happened was one of the celebrities that used to hang out at the whiskey bar at the, the Sunset Marquee Hotel, uh, when he was in town, he would uh, even stay at a different hotel, but he always came to this bar to have drinks with Dave Chappelle. Genius, and, genius comic, yeah. one of the greatest of all time. And he would hang out at the bar with me at the end of the night. You know, I'd, I'd buy him a couple of drinks. We'd chill at the bar and talk. And nicest guy, he'd just sit and talk with me. And uh, I remember telling him, you know, I, I did comedy when I was 19. I did the open mic at the comedy store. And then I did it again when I was 25, like some, you know, one of those open mic nights at like some shit room that some uh, comics would just run and basically let every comedian on. I go, let me do that room. Give me 10 minutes and I'll bring 100 people. And they're like, you're going to bring 100 people? I'm like, yeah. And I did. And then I I thought you had a new act every time you went on stage, which I was right. (laughs) I didn't know that, you know, that I got stuck doing the same act for a long time. But but you're (laughs) supposed to do a new act all the time. But back then I thought, all right, that's done. You put it on stage once. You don't do it ever again. You know, that's the way I believe. So I'm like, fuck, it took me five years to write a new act, you know. I'm never going to make it like this. So I thought if I start my own comedy night, then I probably would, at least I'm one night a week I'm responsible for. And then that one night a week will turn into two nights a week to three nights a week, four, five, and then learning, I'm meeting other people, and then I can do their shows. That was the idea. But um, this night I'm talking to Dave Chappelle. I'm like, hey, man, you know, I did comedy back in the day, and. You know, the old, you know, stranger, the regular civilian guy saying he wants to be a comedian. I mean, how often does that happen to you even now? And I'm telling Dave, how do I do this? What do I do to do comedy? And he's like, "Uh, you know what, man? You just got to get on stage and do it, man. That's it. That's my advice. Get on stage, man. (laughs) (laughs) I never heard you do your Chappelle. Yeah, and I, I I look at him and I'm like, okay, cool, man. And then that very next week, oh, that like two days later, I have this vision like, yeah, I got, you know, I, I don't want to like, how am I going to do this? That's when I thought, I don't want to do these open mic lines or shit bars again. I want to start my own night because I know all these people. I could get them out. Dude, I had this vision, like just build a stage and do it. But I only knew one guy that I'd met in my life that was a comedian that knew other comedians that I knew produced a show like the year before, and it was Ahmed Ahmed. I don't even know the guy. I just met him briefly, and he used to invite me down, come to my room, come to my room. <laughs> Dude, I have this vision sitting on a slow night at the whiskey bar. It was like it was like God touched my heart and threw me into the back of the chair and goes, just start a comedy night. It was like it was like he spoke to me without speaking to me. You know, like It was like a lightning bolt. I felt like something tell me, you got to do this. The second after I had that vision... Like, I stand up, and it was kind of like, I, it was really strong that I needed to do it. Who turns the corner in the bar? Ahmed Ahmed and Vince Vaughn. The Holy second after shit. I had that feeling, to where I, I looked at Ahmed Ahmed, I'm like, Hold, dude, I haven't seen this guy in a year. And I'm like, I just talked to Dave Chabot, he goes, get on stage. I'm like, dude, we got to build a stage. You and I should do a night together. And he's like, yo, yo, calm down, bro. <laughs> you don't understand. It's not easy to put a night together. You just don't put a night together. No, I don't think you understand. I'm me and you need to do a comedy night. God just told me yeah. five minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, like no, I and told then him, you walked in. Yeah, I told him I had this weird vision just now. I literally stood up like it was overwhelming how strong of a vision I had. Like, dude, you're depressed here. You don't want to be in the barbers the rest of your life. You know, I, I want to entertain. And then you turned the corner 
With Vince Vaughn? I, I didn't even let him in the bar. I'm in the lobby of the hotel just going crazy. Like, <laughs> dude, you don't understand. We have to do this night. He's like, calm down, dude. I don't even want to host the night anymore. It sucks. Comedians are coming at you left and right. It's crazy. I'm like, dude, I don't know anybody else that knows comedians. I have to have you. We got to do this. He's like, all right, we'll go look for a spot. And the two of us went looking around, and we found Dublin's. Oh, my and, God. And it came to life that way. It was like the floodgates were wide open once we started it. I love it. I mean, not, it's not often that anybody gets any kind of calling or a feeling. And I, I, I had one, and mine came in like a, more of like a feeling of, oh, my God, this is so comfortable, and this is what you're supposed to be doing. That was me seeing Damon Wayans Sr. at the comedy store 20 years ago, and I'm sitting in the audience, and, in my, and some crazy, I swear to God, like warmth came over me, and I just had the thought of, this is it. I'm going to do comedy, rich, poor, whatever happens, I'm in the life. And I and 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 when those moments happen, you can't ignore them. So, that was a great that's a great kickoff moment and then you get Dublin's going. Well, here's what happens. Can- this is this is what really lit Dublin's up and I'm going to give all the credit to one guy. So, I start the night literally for, you know, like a week after I talked to Chappelle. So, he comes and goes from Ohio, right? I don't even. Yeah, I don't know him that way. I didn't have. I, I didn't have his phone number back then. He would just come in the bar, and and I guess he was friendly with a couple of the other people that worked there too. You know what I mean? So, I I come back to work, and he came in early one night, and the waitress told him, you know, Jay started his own comedy night. And so uh, what happens is I come back to work one night, and he waits around for me. And he goes, "Hey, Jay, let me talk to you, man." <laughs> it's been like he's two weeks. You know, he's back in town. You know, man, I'm a big comic, man. Obviously, I'm Dave Chappelle. <laughs> uh, being a big comic, every time I meet people, they say they want to be a comedian. I'm like, I tell them the same thing I told you. Get on stage. You got to do it. Nobody ever does comedy. And I'm looking over at you, and I'm like, not only you started doing comedy since I told you that, I heard you started your own room and built a stage. I'm like, yeah, man. Goes, that's impressive, man. <laughs> that's really impressive. That is man. The I never best, met anything worst like that. imitation I've yeah. ever heard. I got braces, so yeah. it's hard. And he goes, uh, "I tell you what, man. When's your, when's your night, man?" I go Tuesday. He goes, "I'm in town till Wednesday. Call your friends. Tell them Dave Chappelle's doing 20." Oh, that went, is... really? He goes, "Yeah. Call all your friends. You tell them Dave Chappelle is going to do 20 minutes." <laughs> that's and so I was like, gift. fuck, that's so cool. So, of course, that was the easiest promotion. I called every celebrity I knew. They, they came out. and Woodward, I told Ahmed, Ahmed, dude, Dave Chappelle told me he's going to do 20 minutes this Tuesday. He goes, seriously? And then he called all his friends. Wow. And that was the night. I mean, that was the night, dude. And uh, wow. so Chappelle, I'm like, I don't know if he's going to show up, but he said he would. So he showed up a little late. Like, we started at like 9.30 or 10.00. And he rolled in at like 11, you know, just places packed. Oh and he my goes, God. put me on. And he did like 30 minutes and just blew the roof off the place. The place went nuts. And that solidified Dublin's. That he, was it. He put a stamp on Dublin's. And that we were already kind of doing shows, like a couple show, few shows prior. Once Dave came in, boom. You know, and then we, we would just kind of weed out comics, and we met, you know, I met you right off the bat. Like, you became a part of Dublin's immediately. Yeah. You were great from the get-go. You were Thanks. a big part of that. And uh, To get they, a spot yeah. at Dublin's wasn't easy, and if Jay and uh, or Ahmed gave you that blessing, because really all week, you were begging. I was kind of just like finding a smooth, cool way to beg <laughs> to get a spot, and it, you only had, what, eight spots, nine mm-hmm. spots, and you always knew Dane was popping in, and maybe Chappelle was popping in, and you always had Alonzo clothes, mm-hmm. so there weren't a lot of spots, so I got to say thank you, bro, for like letting me in that mix, because... That like, bro, I had you know agents were coming down, and I was signing little deals off of Dublin's, and, and like people got to know me from that room, and you know, like I like I said before, you even started speaking all comedy roads that kind of mean anything in L.A. And I'm sure you got your haters out there. I'm sure there's hater Jay Davis haters. Well, I can't book everybody, you know. I try. <laughs> no, I, I, I love comedians, but it's tough, it's, you know. I've already got a crew now that like. I mean, I think like the new comics, but. You know, it's great because I've really learned to have an eye for talent, you know, and confidence. You know, I'll meet a comic and sometimes I can just read them. 
Yeah. Like, I'm, this dude, I don't even need to see his act. I can tell he's got it, you know, or, or she's got it, you know. Yep. But, um, you know, it's, you know, doing the parlor today, I'm still able to find, you know, young, hungry talent that's passionate and hardworking. You know, there's so much more than just being funny. You got to, you got to, you know, like you said, you basically were finding a cool way to, to fi- you know, get connected. But your talent also was there and... You know, it's easy to say, get you spots because you were one of our favorites at Dublin. So thanks, man. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Take me back when I was a kid. Never had to worry about what I did. The quality of the show at Dublin's, people would pay $100 a ticket. For that show. Like, if you put that show on the road anywhere, and it's like Dave Chappelle, Alonzo Bowden, Dane Cook, Ahmed Ahmed, Jay Davis, Mike Young, you know, Sebastian. Yeah. I mean, Brett Ernst. I mean, you know, that's a ticket, bro. That's a that's a, that's a a crew of dudes that could fly around private for the tour. You know what I mean? Like, and, like, how did you make up your, like, how, how did the day before go with the lineup? Like, you had a hundred dudes trying to get in. Did you and Ahmed sit hovering over a table, like putting a lineup together like a baseball team? How'd that go down? Ahmed got to the point where he didn't want to be bothered by comedians. So he was like, he he kind of gave me the reins to book, you know? I mean, like, of course, he'd be like, hey, make sure you get Sebastian on or, or this guy, you know? And, like, he'd pick a couple, and then I'd pretty much put a lot of the shows together and it was just you know we started getting our regulars like once dane started coming down too you know he was a big chunk of that show and that's when he was really peaking like it was the best comedian i'd, I'd ever seen so funny and then uh he was Bowden, that just, room. you'd never seen anything like it it was like so much improv and new material and the room would would just be electric and uh yeah, he was he was fun to watch, and then Alonzo Bowden would always follow him no matter what with his sitting on a stool just talking to the audience. Yep, I, I remember mean, one night he was like making fun of InSync, and they were they because some girls were dressed kind of like hot, and he's like, "Why are you girls all dressed?" We went to InSync, and he did like twenty minutes just ripping InSync apart. He didn't know they were in the room the whole time. <laughs> Backstreet Boys and InSync were in the two back booths. I remember they came straight them. from the the concert. Wow. And he was just ripping them, right? And, like, their promoter friend uh, was mad. She hated Alonzo after that. But, like, the guys loved it. They said it was really funny. Timberlake was a huge fan of the Dublin's comedy night. Like, you know, he brought Britney Spears there. Yep. His it, One one day I'm having lunch at the old Gaucho Grill across from the Laugh Factory. You know, that like, it's a taco place now. but Great it's like chicken little, sandwich, yeah. Yeah, I it was remember. a little strip mall. Literally, it's all glass, so you're facing the Laugh Factory. All you see is Laugh Factory, Laugh Factory. One day, I'm having lunch in there with my friend, uh, William Defoe, who was my neighbor at the time, a friend of mine, who became the lead singer of my favorite band, Alice in Chains. He's Alice in Chains' new lead singer. Like, at the time, we didn't know he was going to become Alice in Chains' lead singer, you wait, know? Wait, 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 The Alice in Chains' lead singer's name is Willem Defoe also? Yeah, Will- William. Oh, William Defoe. Not Willem. <laughs> it would like, be weird if it was Willem. I'm, no, I'm yeah, thinking I, Jay's boys with Willem Defoe. <laughs> no. Oh, it's, uh, it's William. Is that your father? Yeah, yeah, no, it's crazy. But we're sitting there having, um, finishing up our lunch. We're finishing up our lunch, and he's facing uh, towards the front entrance. I'm facing towards the Laugh Factory. So uh, he goes, dude, you're not going to believe this. Justin Timberlake and Cameron Diaz just sat down two tables behind us. I'm like, oh, no shit, dude. I kind of know that guy. He comes to my Dublin shows. I should probably go say hi, and then and then I'm like, oh, I don't know, man. I don't want to. And I, and they were just getting their food. I was just closing up. I'm like, I don't interrupt them, whatever. So I just go stand over by the the waiter by the bathroom to close out my tab. I get up to go close out my tab. I looked over there, scoped it out. I'm like, I'm not gonna interrupt the guy. He's on a date with another famous A-list actress. I don't want to interrupt him. So I'm sitting there and I'm just closing out my tab. And then all of a sudden I look up and he's walking towards the bathroom. So I'm like, oh, now I'm going to, I'm going to enter, you know, and just be like, hey, you know, and what, what it was, I thought he was going to the bathroom, but he was coming right up to me and he goes, Jay Davis, what the <laughs> hell are you, I can't even believe it. you have no idea. This is so weird. And I'm like, whoa, this guy knows my name. <laughs> it's like, fuck, I've never even been on TV. This guy knows me. 
He's like a fan. He's like, Jay Davis is like a fan. He goes, you know, this is crazy, dude. I'm sitting here with my girlfriend, Cameron, and we just walk in, and we're, we're facing the laugh. I'm looking at the laugh factory, and I'm going, hey, I told Cameron, you remember that first date, our first date? I took you to that Dublin show. You remember how cool that was, that comedy show we used to go to at Dublin's? And I look over to my right, and there you are, dude. <laughs> he goes, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, there's the Jay Davis right there. <laughs> And then you, I went over and said hi to Karen Diaz and shit. I was like, I was like, I walked out of there. I, I floated out of that restaurant like, wow, this guy's a pretty big star. And they knew me. I was like, you, whoa. You, you put them together yeah, as a couple. Yeah, yeah their first date. <laughs> You're the reason they lasted three years. Yeah. And then his wife, dude. Now, they were at a Laugh Factory show. I used to promote Laugh Factory for like six years back in the day, the life of the party. And uh, Jessica Biel was at a, at a show that Justin Timberlake was at. And I got pictures with both of them. That night, I don't know if they met that night or not, but I think they're married with kids now. Yo, Jay, isn't you that should crazy? Be a, you should be a pastor. I know. <laughs> or, uh, no, yeah, or, I, I, that, you that, should conduct wedding I haven't ceremonies. Had that, I haven't had comedy. that calling yet, thank God, Mike. Cause <laughs> that would be, I, I think I'll stick to comedy. <laughs> God, man, there. I mean, it's it's so many people still to this day. They talk about Dublin's and they talk about just the the electrifying room. I looked over one night. Hugh Hefner was surrounded by his playmates. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So half of the half the time comics wanted to be at your show because it was the best pack show in the game. And the other part was like, yo, we're hoping to get laid out of this. Dude, I, like, I know ugly comedians would get laid. Girls. Ugly comedians would get laid. And the like, staff was fine. I think I dated every, one of the waitresses for like seven months. The women <laughs> were just always and you know what's weird? Like I've always had that stigma promoting shows are the most beautiful women come to my shows it just you, you know i figured it out it's because i've always been that nice guy you know like I, I i never are you allowed to cuss on this show yeah yeah oh uh, i i hope i, I should have asked before i did it but uh i, I never fucked any of the girls because i always thought like this is my clientele you know this is my business i want these beautiful women in my shows that brings celebrities and then that brings better comics and then it's just a good recipe but if i'm fucking these girls are trying to fuck them i become creepy maybe they're not attracted to me and then they're gonna stop coming around but they i've made friends with these girls and i i put myself in the friend zone on purpose because i just wanted these hot chicks at my shows and they trust me but then a med would fuck them all and then i'd be like <laughs> where are all the chicks and they're like, why don't you come to the show? And you're like, I hooked up with a med. I, I can't come back now. I'm like, damn it, a med. Stop fucking our, our clientele. Did he eventually quit? No, like that was back in the day. But like, but uh, it was pretty funny. It's like, dude, I'm bringing chicks and everybody else is getting laid but me, you know? Yeah, but that's the smartest way to do <laughs> but business, it was why Jay, it was you. It was for me, you know? But then, you know, now I'm getting old, so I got to start, you know. Trying hey, to if there's out. any of these girls that come to my show, just you know, kind of give me a sign more than just twirling your hair. You <laughs> know, just grab me and hold me tight. Yeah, but this, this, <laughs> yeah, but this is this whole comedy world, Jay. It is your calling, bro. Because I don't know if you've ever told this story or not, but just the fact. I don't believe in coincidences, and I believe that everything people meet people for a reason. And I mean, the fact that that Knoxville is the first roommate that you have in Los Angeles, it doesn't even make sense on paper. It's like you're just a kid from Florida yeah. that moves to Los Angeles with a super. You know what it is, Jay? I think it's your excitement. Yeah, I do I get think, excited. <laughs> no, but, but it's real. I'm yeah. being real it's a, with you. It's a sincere excitement, though. Like Listen, I really do get excited. You're a maniac sometimes. I've yeah. seen you go wild. I've seen you flip <laughs> tables over when the night's not going your way. You are, just like the rest of us, a neurotic maniac. But it's your excitement that people gravitate to. And somehow you end up being Johnny Knoxville's roommate his first roommate in L.A. Yeah, I, I was the first first person I think he ever met in L.A. was me. Well, because, uh, you know, I was going to this acting school. At the time, this acting school was in um, Pasadena. So I had a place in Arcadia, California, which was near the Santa Anita racetrack at Huntington and Baldwin. It was a little shit apartment building, but it was cheap, you know, and it wasn't that far from the school. So I, I, my original roommate that I moved out here was my sister, who's five years older than me, but then she got married, and uh, so she moved out to move in with her uh, husband right away. Like, she was getting married, like, six months in. So I needed a roommate. We, we were waiting for the summer school students to come in. So I Summer used, acting school. Yeah, it's like, you know, they had a summer program. I was in the winter program. Uh, but, you know, it's a long program, and then you go into the next one, you know. And <clears throat> So the summer school students are coming out, so I was able to utilize the school to put an ad out 
to anybody from all over the country that's needing a place to live. It's like so they can find out. And then one of the people that gravitated towards my ad was Johnny Knoxville. His real name's PJ. How, how great was your ad? <laughs> PJ Clive. I just like, I'm looking for a roommate. Here's how much it is, you know? And so I get this phone call from this guy with a real southern accent, you know? He's like, uh, hey, man, uh, yeah, I talked to a few people. And uh, you seem like the coolest guy of, of everyone I talk to. Uh, you know, uh, I'm thinking about making you my roommate. <laughs> he goes, I just got one one final question for you. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah, what's that? And he's like, uh, are you gay? I go, no, I'm not. He goes, good, neither am I. You'll be my roommate. <laughs> All right, man, I'll meet you when I get out there. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I pictured like this hillbilly with like straw in his mouth. Like he had a strong southern accent you know and like overalls and no shirt you know no i didn't think he's gonna wear shoes you know and uh when he showed up I'm like this fucking guy looked like a model he's a good looking dude man and i was like damn man you're good looking dude and, maybe uh, i am gay yeah yeah no i mean yeah maybe, maybe I am. <laughs> but uh yeah so then that guy became my roommate there for a minute and then then we both quit the school together because they said you can't audition i'm like dude can't be an actor can't audition they wanted to, you know, keep you at the school, and we're like, let's get out of here. Plus, why are we in Pasadena? We're supposed to go to Hollywood to make it. So then we, we found a place on Hollywood Boulevard, and we lived there for about three years. What? Up there at Hollywood and La Brea. So were you guys both, like, going to auditions and, like, you know, he, just... Yeah, we would do, like, commercial auditions. And then we had this other roommate, this kid named Scott. And he was He looked like Tom Cruise, and he was booking commercials left and right. But that kid got on drugs, man. And it's weird because, like... One day, uh, like, time goes by, you know, Knoxville and I went our separate routes, obviously, and then um, we would still connect or run into each other. Like, I was in New York City, and then somebody tapped me on the shoulder, and I turned around, and someone took a picture of me. It was Knoxville, and he was hanging out with Jeff Ross. Oh, Because wow. I think Jeff Ross was doing rewrites on The Ringer. Was that the movie? No. Yeah. The, was uh, that what it was called? Was, uh, yeah, Where yeah. he played, like, a, a the, special needs dude? Yep, exactly. So those two were hanging out. That was cool. And then he's like, dude, I, I ran into our old roommate, Scott, bro. He's homeless, dude. It looked like he's all on drugs. I gave him 100 bucks. Damn. He's totally homeless. And then I saw him just all dreadlocked and shit. Like kids. I was like, man, I thought that kid was going to make it, man. Yo, we've seen, we've seen many people go down that sad road. Yeah. Many people, you know, uh, even especially in our in the business of comedy. It's, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. It's crazy. So you in Knoxville, you, you split you split ways. He goes and becomes super jackass king yeah. of the world. When you when you were with him though, was he like, dude, I can smash my head into a wall and it won't even bother me? Watch me take this skateboard down Hollywood and run into everybody and nothing will happen. Did you know that? He, did you know he was a daredevil? Well, I'll tell you this: there was a there was a time like he was fun. He's always been funny, man. That guy's funny, dude. He's got a good sense of humor. He's very well read. He's smart. You know, people don't realize how smart that dude is. He reads books, he eats healthy, and does pull-ups and push-ups, he takes care of himself. He's a smart dude. He could have been a pro baseball player, I was told, but yeah. he threw his shoulder out. But he was a really good baseball pitcher. And um, so he's a really smart guy. He knew what he wanted. He was, I think he was doing like Bud Light commercials at the time. He did a couple Bud commercials. And I remember when he was my roommate back when we had VCRs, he had a tape when he was 12 years old. His dad... Uh, ran a tire shop and I guess some guy named Bubba that used to be like it was like some guy that was hit by a car he had a plate in his head or something and he was the guy with the straw in his mouth he was missing a tooth he was like <laughs> overweight he was like six foot eight big old dude named Bubba I'm Bubba yeah like sling blade almost and they used to hire this guy who's like homeless in the, to stack tires they'd give him money to stack the big tires for him I'm gonna stack those tires up for you you know and uh, so he had a video back in the day which was hard you know make back then and uh where they convinced this Bubba guy to put a firecracker in his mouth and let uh Johnny Knoxville light it and he was only about 12 and they had it on video, and he brought he had the tape and showed us. We used to watch that video over and over again, bro. I would cry of laughter. I've never seen anything like it. Because this big old hillbilly guy was sitting on the porch with a firecracker's mouth, and you could hear these other uh, Tennessee redneck guys going, All right, PJ, you ready? Uh, the PJ's Johnny Knoxville's name, you could hear him say, PJ, you ready? Bubba, you sure you want to do this? He goes, Yeah, yeah, I can do it. And he's just guy with this 
firecracker in his mouth and the, the wick hanging out. And then he goes, all right, BJ, run up there and light it and run away fast. And then the 12-year-old kid, is, is he lights this thing. And uh, I've never seen anything like it, man. It blows the guy's mouth up. You ever see a horse when it's – you can see the gums in the, at the top. It blew his mouth so open, he looked like a horse. And, like, and it just – his face turned black. And, like, there was gunpowder everywhere. And he was just spitting out all the paper. And it blew up right in his mouth, man. And he was sitting there. And, like, the one tooth, like – it, 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 like all the paper flew out of the one tooth, <laughs> and it was just he was just smoking. And we would watch that over and over again. And then he used to say that I remember him saying like Super Dave Osborne was his favorite show. Around after that, I love goes, that show. He goes, "How great would it be to do a show like Super Dave Osborne with real dudes that are not trained stuntmen, and they just do stunts anyway, but they're not even trained. That's but amazing. like instead of Super Dave, they faked it. He goes, "No, really doing it." And that's yeah. and I think then what happened was he was having hard times. He, he had a baby, he had a daughter, and so he had to take a job, a real job. He couldn't just act, and he took a job as a writer for Big Brother Skateboard Magazine. I heard, and uh, that that skateboard magazine, he came up with all these creative ideas to write articles, and one was testing out security equipment, like you know, stun gun. Why don't we stun gun me and then I'll write an article on what it was like to be stun gun. And you're like, why don't we take a 38 and then I'll put a this bulletproof vest on. You can shoot me with it and I'll t- let you know what it felt like with the bulletproof vest and I'll write a story on it. And then at the time, Spike Jones, the director, was also in the skateboard world. He was directing the skateboard videos at the time. And they used to meet at these, because Johnny Knoxville would go to these skateboard uh, tournaments. Yeah. And uh, told his ideas. He goes, dude, you're writing these articles? This is unbelievable. You got to let me video that. He goes, dude, you're going to shoot yourself with a 38? Like, and you're going to stun gun yourself? You got to let me video that, dude. <laughs> He's like, let me direct that. Let me video. He goes, sure. And then, you know, he called himself Johnny Knoxville because he didn't want anyone to know it was him as a writer. It was his ghost writing name. For Big Brother, that's where Johnny Knoxville came because he's from oh, Knoxville, wow. Tennessee. So he called this character Johnny Knoxville, and that just stuck. Damn, because he didn't want to be, I guess, PJ Clap, the Clap that he used to make jokes like, "I, I gave you the Clap." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, then that 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 tape, he the Spike Jones guy who became a big director after that, uh, taped that for him and all him testing out all this this this. Uh, these dangerous equipment, and then that circulated, and then MTV got a hold of it, and then he was able to pick in some of these uh, guys that he met through the skateboard world, and some crazy guys like Steve O, and then yeah. he put that that team together. I remember talking to him, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm taping this little like pilot presentation thing. We're just kind of doing some crazy stunts and shit." And I go, "Do you need anybody else for that?" And he goes, "No, we got everybody we need." I remember talking on the phone, <laughs> and. Uh, and so I might have been that close, you know, but not really. Is that a blessing or a curse? I think I would have died. I would have been the guy that died. I would have <laughs> yeah, been the crybaby. I just, that, he, no, I would not have been a, a good on that show. I would have been, I, I, I'm too sensitive, you know. <laughs> you don't seem like pain. a pain guy. Not just that. I don't even like being, you know, bullied or fucked with, and that's all they do, you know. Right. And I, I, I would, I would not have been cat. It would not have been good for that. <laughs> you it just, wasn't you just snapped in the pilot. Yeah, I would have got mad or you guys can't do that. You know, it just doesn't fit that style. <laughs> Those guys are crazy. Those guys, they had the perfect cast. Yeah. It was great. But that was that's how that came about from what I, you know, I'm sure, you know, that's that's what I was told. So All roads in L.A. in the <laughs> in upper world, underworld lead to Jay Davis. It's unbelievable. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Take me back when I was a kid. Never had to worry about what I did. I told a story on here in one of my first episodes about some problems I had back in the, you know, I had that little issue with the guy and yeah, I, know I was all real about beat that. up. But even Jay Davis was in was connected was to that connected to that guy. <laughs> like Jay Davis, I'm connected day, to so much stuff. It's crazy. It's six degrees of, of Jay Davis. Jay totally. Davis got an ashtray thrown at his head one night by that guy. Mm-hmm. Same guy. Same guy. The guy wow. must have had like a deep subconscious hate for comedians. Like, no, but you know what it is though. That guy did me a favor because if that ashtray was never thrown at my head that night, and 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 I almost got in a fight with this guy that that's you know. 
could definitely have you buried in the desert. I didn't know. You know, it wasn't really my fault. Basically, it was right when the no smoking law happened. And I'm working at this bar as a bartender. And this this guy that ran the bar and owned the bar goes, listen, guys, we're having a employee meeting. The city's coming down. They're going to charge us if they catch anybody smoking in here. Nobody smokes. You understand? Bar, don't serve anybody if they're smoking. Now, the lesson I learned was I should have said right then, I'm a bartender, not a security guard. So I'm going to just serve. If someone's smoking, that's your security's job. But no, I said I'll become a security guard at five foot seven. And you know, 112 pounds. I'll 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 be security tonight and bartend, yeah. which was the mistake I made, really. Yeah. So this little guy, like a Joe Pesci type guy, comes out the bar. He's smoking a cigarette, smoking the hell out of it. Just, well, yeah. Let me get a scotch, uh, rock. Yeah. Let me get that. What are you guys having? Yeah. He's got some big dudes behind him and shit. Like, and I knew one of the dudes was a big dude behind him who's a really good friend of mine. Uh, Big Daddy Carl, you know, yeah. Big Daddy. And I've known him for years, and he's a nice friend of mine. And he's so big, I know he's big like Daddy. towering over him behind him. And he's like looking at me, and I'm like, okay, listen, hold on a second, dude. I can't get you anything if you're smoking. He's like, oh, yeah, whatever. Okay, so he's still smoking. He's like, give me this and this and this. And I go, I don't think you understand, man. I get a little mad, you know, not knowing who this guy is. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I, you can't smoke. I'm not serving you if you're smoking. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, you effing fucking And he starts wanting to fight me. And I look at him like he's starting to throw a punch at me. And, I, and then he throws an ashtray at my head, just whips it at me. And I, and I, I go, what the? Oh, no, he doesn't throw an ashtray at me. He throws a candle because there's no ashtrays on the bar. You're not supposed to be smoking. He throws a glass candle at my head, a lit candle, and it almost hits me. And I, I'm thinking about punching him and Big Daddy telepathically. I've never seen a guy talk to me telepathically before, <laughs> but Big Daddy, without moving, his eyes said, Jay, don't even do it with this guy, Jay. I love you, buddy. Don't get in with this guy. Don't go there. Yeah, telepathically. And I and I got it. I'm like, thank you, Big Daddy. And I backed off, and then the guy tried to jump the bar, and then all hell broke loose, and they threw him out. And then the other bar manager happened to be the other bartender. He's like, I'm an investor here. And he goes, I know you are, but you can't treat my staff like that. And this whole thing busted out. And, like, I wasn't even trying to be mean to the guy, you know. I didn't even know him, you know. And come to conclusion is, like, the next day, the owner says, look, that guy was one of our investors. I'm like, okay, well, maybe you should have walked him up to the bar and introduced him. And said it's okay that he smokes. You know, I'm just doing what you told me. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, did someone tell the guy that you told me to tell people that I can't serve him? <laughs> Please call yeah. him and tell him yeah. you yeah. said and he's like, and no the guy's smoking. Like, he's like, you don't understand. He He's a dangerous person. And he's said that he's going to hurt you <laughs> if you come back to work here. I'm not firing <laughs> you. But if you come back to work here, he's, he's you're going to get hurt. And I'm like, so well, basically so basically, you want. <laughs> basically, and I believed him. And I go, all right, well, there goes. And I was making like five to $700 a night in tips there. Damn. A lot. It was the best bar job in town at the time. Opium didn't back then. And Damn. so I was like, man, I had another friend that knew the guy who's a really dear friend of mine today. Yeah. And um, I called him and I was kind of scared of this guy. And he goes, yeah, you should be. And uh, he goes, I'll call him. He's my buddy. And I told him the situation and I explained it to him. And he's, I said, Jay's a good buddy of mine. He, he just caught in this weird thing. And the guy's, because I was scared for my life. Like, the guy was threatening me. He said yeah. he was going to. And he goes, uh, I talked to him. He says, listen, Jay, I love you, buddy. He goes, but he, you just can't work there anymore. He wow. says, he says, you're fine. The deal is you can't go back to work there. And I'm like, okay. Well, that week I was kind of depressed about it, and I run into this rest in peace a friend of mine who passed away who was the manager at the whiskey bar which yeah. was the hottest bar I tell him the story he's like jay come work for me and that's how i got the job with randy gerber through this guy wendell wendell green i know i remember wendell Wendell, who's passed away he was yeah. a good friend of mine uh bless your buddy and uh he, he totally they didn't hire dudes at that place it was all women right they didn't have hire dudes he goes i want to hire you just come in as a bar back do you mind i'll do anything i had no income I and then right. through that, all, I met all those big celebrities, and then Dublin's came about. I met Dave Chappelle. So thank you to the guy yeah. who never, you know, that, that that happened. It was another, it was meant to be. Yeah. You know, I'm actually thankful for that guy. Yeah. No, it's funny, man, because I said the same thing. You know, my situation obviously went deeper and worse, and it didn't turn out great for me, mm-hmm. but it was a blessing in disguise and a, and a crazy lesson learned, and, like, my life took a turn for the better after it all 
after all the dust settles. Same here. And you know, I, 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 the thing is, the one thing I learned, and and anybody who's a bartender or works in a nightclub, yeah, if you're not a security guard and your boss, even the owner, tells you to be security, don't do it. Just don't. You're not a security guard. You can tell them, look, dude, I'm sorry. I've heard rumors of people that try to be security that shouldn't be security, and things go bad. So I'd rather you just, that's what security's for. If somebody's not supposed to smoke or smoke weed or a pin wheat, whatever, that's on your security. I'm not. I'm, I'm here to bartend. If they order a drink, I'm serving them. All you young kids out there yeah. thinking of making yeah. a move to <laughs> yeah. Hollywood, yeah. and you're coming out here, and you got a chip on your shoulder, and you were a tough kid in high school, yeah. and you were scrappy. Don't be this tough a, out here. This is a different world. So you come out here, and you shut your mouth, yep. and you do your work, and you keep your head down. <laughs> That's right. Because there's a layer to Los Angeles that you don't even know exists. <laughs> but I and, do. <laughs> and I do. Yeah. And Jay Davis does. And we've both met the same uh, dudes but in the anyway. same world, and we're both okay but, and better yeah, for it. That's right. Yeah, we got to uh, option the rights to the Jay Davis story. It's just, yeah. I mean, it's. A, I think it's like a three-movie deal you have to do because there's not just one. There's tons of stories like that just keep coming. It's like his own Wizard of Oz. It's like he's on the path, and then Knoxville shows him a VHS, and he gets off the path, and Knoxville goes and you know down a hill on a skateboard. He hangs a left turn, and there's Keanu Reeves <laughs> yeah. in a band. And Jay's yeah. like, hey, man, you need a manager? I got time off this bar I just got fired from. Yeah. You're Forrest Gump. He's the Forrest Gump of the LA <laughs> under of the co- LA comedy scene. Yeah, we definitely have to have Jay as a recurring guest to go through all of your comedic transpirings oh. and just you know, you guys have been. This is a full podcast on comedy from back in the day. You guys haven't even cracked the two thousands. No. Oh yeah, this oh, is no, like this is... we're talking like ninety one, bro. Like <laughs> I met I met Marshall Mathers, dude. I was bartending at the at the at the uh, M M&M. and M. I was bartending. At the the Roxbury, and it was the end of the night. This dude was, he goes, hey, his name is Marshall. He goes, yeah, I'm out here to be a rapper. And he goes, I'm about to sign a big deal, man. He goes, you're the coolest, coolest guy, man. I'll do a rap for you right now. I freestyle. I'm like, <laughs> fuck yeah, man. Dude freestyled for me, bro. Just me. <laughs> Before he made it. He said his name was Marshall. He wasn't Eminem yet. How great that? was the night Will that? Smith, Will Smith was up there playing pool. The, that was around the same week that he signed. That uh, the Beverly Hills show that he did, whatever. Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Yeah, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. He was up there talking. They were doing deals out of the Roxbury, bro. There was nightclub, restaurant. It was like the spot for shit. And he goes, Yeah, I'm hanging out with these guys. And I swear to you, dude, Eminem gave me a freestyle rap because he goes, You're such a cool guy, dude. I'll do a freestyle just for you, dude. And he talked to Roxbury, nightclub, Will Smith playing pool. Like, he did the whole thing, but, like, I suck. I I cannot impersonate a rapper. But he was great, dude. I was like, damn, dude. Jay Davis, Roxbury, Pool Shark, Will Smith, Beverly Hills, Fresh Prince. I'm a prince. Jay's a prince. Nice kid. Ice kid. That was a good time. About to sign a deal, be a superstar. I used to meet so many. I was kind of like, I still used to eat In-N-Out Burger a lot, so I always had a little belly. But, dude, I would hook up with the hottest chicks over there. At Roxbury? Yeah. That place, by the way, when I first moved to L.A. in, like, when it was 95, 4, 3, 6, I, I, my, everything blends together. But I, that was the spot. And I had my Kronk boxing jacket on from Detroit, which is a famous boxing gym. And only people who really know boxing can appreciate Kronk. And I rolled up there on a cold night in the jacket. And the owner, well, the, well John, I think his name was, like, one of the guys. John Enos. Yeah. Yeah. Well, John Enos, but there was another guy, like a short, stocky guy. Oh, John guy. Long. John Long. Johnny Long. He was the main guy. That's the guy that hired me. John Long. The Long brothers, Bobby com- and John Long. He comes out and he goes, dude, where'd you get that jacket? I'm like, oh, I'm from Detroit and just, you know, kind of just got moved here. And my dad's friends with Emmanuel Stewart and I'm just into boxing and I box as a kid. And da-da. He goes, yo, let the kid with the jacket in. <laughs> I got into the coolest club in Los Angeles history, (laughs) and it was literally like, it blew my mind. It changed my whole game. Like, when I walked in there, I had your excitement. Like, I had never seen anything like that. Like, Detroit, we went to clubs as kids, but there was no shit like this. No. I literally remember I was going in, like, there's like... Charlie Sheen and Robert Downey Jr. and, like, Carol Alt, who was, like, on my wall as a poster. You know what I mean? I had a wall of like Cindy Crawford, Carol Alt, like Sheena the Warrior Princess. Yeah. Or something. Like two out of three of the girls on my wall were at the Roxbury. And I was like, you know, I had no fear. And I talked to anybody. I just was like, I was like you. I was gung-ho. 
You remember that, that Gotta Have Faith, uh, what was that that singer's name? That, yeah, the dude with the long hair? No, that, that video with all the top models in it. They, they were all George there. George Michael, yeah. George Michael's video. Remember that one? Yeah, yeah. Every hot supermodel. Yeah. They were, the supermodels were hanging out underage up there, bro. Yeah. I remember, like, I was, like, 19. Naomi and I was, Campbell. I wasn't even a bartender yet, and, and like, um, one of the most famous supermodels, like, I want him to make my drink. He's cute. And I was like, damn, all right. And I was making her drink. She wasn't even old enough to drink. Man, it was great. That's the beauty. Yo, the beauty of coming out to Hollywood is is being naive. Yeah, coming from I was a place, so naive. And when you're excited to get here, it's amazing. Carol Alt literally was my favorite model on my wall. I see her, no joke, on my life. She's she looks like she doesn't even belong in the bar. She looks like an angel that someone from heaven just dropped down into the middle of the bar. Like doves are singing in my brain. I rolled up on her. I started talking to her. I knew she was divorced from a hockey player, Ron Duguay, or one of those players. Yeah. And I literally, I end up buying her a drink with no money. I got no money. (laughs) I got a credit card with like 150 on it, maybe. Like it's a like. (laughs) You're like, I don't care. I'll spit it all. If this is going through, we'll see what happens. I I get her a drink. I'm nervous as can be. I slow dance with her. I end up slow, and you know I'm Detroit, so I'll slow dance. I'll double step. I'll I'll do the whole thing. I was literally like so nervous, but like half kissing Carol Alt's neck. And then it came time to like try to get a number, and I didn't like know what the move was. And this was the corniest shit. I had business cards made up, but I didn't have a business. I just had a phone number on it. And so that was I gave her my number. On a business card with no business. I <laughs> never, funny. ever heard from Carol Arl ever <laughs> oh, again. But it went down at the Roxbury. That's crazy. I, rem- yo, I remember periodically seeing you, Jay, like working at a door. And then you'd be like a bartender somewhere. And then you'd yeah. Be, you definitely, you I had. Was doing you, everything. You had the connection there with the thought of always coming back and just eventually doing stand-up comedy. Yeah. I, you know, I knew I was meant to be an entertainer, so. Yeah, when you do stand-up. But stand I like up. helping other people, too. It's fun. You know, I like to see other... I'm one of the few that enjoys watching my friends succeed as well. I like seeing my friends succeed. I like helping people to succeed. It's 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 kind of a good feeling. It's it's something like if I ever, you know, which I will get a TV show or get in movies and, and make a bigger name for myself as an actor as well, which I feel that's, you know, coming soon. And uh, I think I'll always still run a night. You, you know, should, I'll hire somebody to. To, to do it for me because there's something that just I'm meant to do that. I, I love helping young talent and, 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 and older talent work on, on their stuff. It's just great to be able to have a stage that I can like say, hey, you know, I can get you on that stage. It feels good to give to people like that, too. You know, I'm a giver. You how, know? how many times have I said to you over the years, you should have a Jay Davis comedy club? Like you should get an investor to back you and just do the Jay Davis comedy clubs out there. And they don't have to be the improv corporate franchise style. I truly think that you could be like, you know, Jay Davis Omaha. You know what I mean? Jay Davis Cincinnati. Jay Davis Columbus. Like yeah. your brand, you have a brand. You don't know it because you're not, you don't think like that all the time. But like, I'm telling you, bro. I'll get I'll get your back on that one, bro. Yeah, we'll, that'd be we'll, good. We'll, we'll sit with someone. One day, the, but you know, I also want to get more like no, you stay my acting doing, out there first because you don't want to be known as just the comedy club no, no, owner no, no. guy. You don't have to. You you could stay doing your thing. Yeah, there were danger fields out there. Rodney was That's a star true. in a comedy. Yeah, you're not de- you're not decreasing your brand as a as you, and that doesn't mean you can't go be in movies and TV shows, which you will do yeah. and continue doing comedy. But I just think you could literally pull favors from all the people you know. And you could put a little package together, and you just start opening it, and just you know be that other club. Yeah, you know I mean be that other cool club, because Jay Davis comedy nights are an experience. And I remember just how you get excited about shit Tuesday morning, knowing I was gonna do Dublin's that night. I'd be going on my legal pad, overlooking my notes for the night. What act am I gonna do? Mm-hmm. And I remember you would be like, Yo, my, you know, you'd be frantic, and Ahmed would be chill, and you'd be like, Mike, you do you mind following Dane? And I remember I followed Dane Cook immediately before Alonzo would go on and close every show, mm-hmm. probably 40 times. And following Dane Cook back at that spot built my comedy muscle to where I was like Superman. Yeah. Like, and I and I could follow him. Like, it wasn't easy, but I remember you coming up to me a couple of times going, dude, dude, you you follow Dane. Like, you follow Dane. <laughs> yeah. Like, he doesn't really want to go on like after you. Like, you follow him. 
and it was building that comedy muscle and being in that kind of that gang of just yo put me on when you feel like putting me on i don't care who goes on i don't care who's not on. you know what i mean we'll fo- I'll follow anybody and it's those rooms where you build that muscle and that confidence and you really you build your chops bro That's joe true. joe rogan saw me at your spot and next thing i know i'm on the road for a year opening for joe rogan that was cool yeah, that, it was great, you know, and and I always would have like a few, pin, I always have like pinch hitter comics, you know, like yeah. guys like, because your energy's different from Dane. Totally, so, cause he at Back then he was really that, that really high energy, you know, all over the place, like ripping plants up and shit, you know, messing up people's hair. You know, it was it was wild energy. And Mike, you've always been like that laid back, cool, calm, collective comic, but your jokes are just on fire. And sometimes it's good to go from that high energy to an energy like you, and it's like putting a puzzle together, you know, or a baseball lineup. And sometimes, sometimes you got to deal with egos of these guys, and and they want to go up earlier, you know, like I don't, I can't go up late, and then you want to cater to these guys because they help your show. But at the same time, you got to make sure that the show doesn't struggle by putting the wrong comic after Dean. But there would only be a few people. You you should be honored when I would ask someone to follow someone like that. I knew they could do it. You I know? loved it. And I you felt killed honored. it. You, you did great. You were awesome, dude. You're a big part of that show, like from the beginning. Like somehow, like you were right there. I was great, it. yo. I was. You were be- a big part of it. I begged my way into that mix, and and Ahmed and I were cool because we were both mm-hmm. kind of like two dudes cut from the same cloth. Like, like to go out, like to have fun, like mm-hmm. to meet girls. You know what I mean? Ahmed, you know, we just we kind of like ran the same, you know, the same style, for sure. But yo, man, I mean, that's that's an hour with Jay Davis, <laughs> you know, time. and it flies with Jay Davis, totally. and I and I totally, totally uh, appreciate you coming out here, bro, and and sitting down and talking, and we'll do this again. You come on, sure. You come on another week. Come on in two weeks, because your stories don't end. And I always say this about you, Jay. When you get to start cracking it open, and like, are you and, and are able to, <clears throat> and you tell some stories on stage. You do tell your stories. But, bro, you got a lot in the tank, and when you start telling these stories the way you are in life and you bring that excitement again to the stage, your whole world's going to crack open, bro. And listen, that's that's the note I give myself. Like, if I could get, if I could get honest with myself on stage mm-hmm. like I do in a room with my friends, like I used to before just shit, you know, I put, start putting walls up. But you start cracking open the stories of Jay Davis, and 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 the sky's the limit, bro. It's gonna it's gonna keep getting better for you. Definitely. All you got to do is stay healthy, funny, excited, and learn to talk now with your bottom braces yeah. that you just put on. Yeah, it does. I'm talking different and everything, but uh, it's kind of it's kind of just uncomfortable. But hey, year and a half, I'll have these things off. I love it. I, you know, I I had braces as a grown ass <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. It didn't stop any part of my life. No, it's not. It's not. It doesn't really. It's just. I just, it just got braces. Hurts. It's just, it's just, it's just awkward. It's just like you want this out of your mouth. You know, it's like it's, it's like eating and just stuff still in your mouth. You're like, ugh. But you know what? It's for the good. I believe, I believe in the product still. Something, I want to have perfect teeth. Something came to me, a sign. I needed to get perfect teeth. I ran to the dentist. <laughs> it's like a car payment up in this grill. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yo, thanks for being here, Jay. Tell our people where they could find you if you got anything coming oh, yeah, up you want to talk actually, about. I'm actually headlining uh, a cool show in Fresno, California. If anybody's listening up in Fresno on July 15th, it's a Friday night. I think the show starts at 8. Uh, I got Ari Manis, you know Ari from the comedy yeah. store, coming up with me, and um, Hanuk, Hanuk, I forgot his last name, but he's a really cool guy. Um, but yeah, I'm actually going to be doing like 40 to an hour, nice. so I'll be able to really, you know, get honest and yeah. uh, with that headlining set. So I'm excited because I'm always doing so much for others and producing shows, hosting and opening all the time. I became a great host because I like to host my own shows. I like to be the face of my show. Yep. And, you know, hosting a lot of people in L.A., it doesn't really, people think hosts are bad, but, you know, I know in New York they respect hosts. Hosting's a different vibe of comedy. Totally. But um, I love hosting still, and uh, it's just good for me to finally start headlining, you know, because there's no money if you're not headlining. So I'm excited to run all these stories, Mike, and really get honest with a crowd out there. And, you know, maybe people want to drive in for it, but that'll be a good time to see some of these true life stories uh, on the stage as as part of my stand-up act. I'm excited to do it. And uh, that's July 15th. And then, of course, every Monday I got that parlor show is popping off. Last night was rocking. Yep. Come and to the parlor so on fun. Melrose every, every Monday. Monday. 
And then starting in July, I'll be every Tuesday, 10 o'clock show at the main room at the Hollywood Melrose Improv. So that's fun, starting uh, July 5th. So that'll be cool, too. Yo, Jay, I find you compelling enough that we're going to be shooting a documentary on you, bro. That's exciting. Yeah, thank you. That's what we're doing. And and I just, I know you got stories. And I've always, you know, for years, I've just always said, like, I got to do, we got to do something. This dude's like, he just opens the doors for people. You know, it's, it's like, it's like with my last movie before Danny A, who, you know, was an actor and a producer of films and financing my movie. He was a he was running clubs in New York, and for 15 years the guy had never paid for a drink, and I was always like, "Yo, someday somehow I got it's gonna come back around with this guy. We got to do something fun together and help each other." And it came out through my movie, a stand-up guy, and he's the actor, he's the lead. I dude. loved him. I loved him. He carried the movie. Yeah, I was really impressed. In fact, I was I was so excited to meet him. Thank you. I I got to go to the premiere, and I remember just saying, "Man, I I I interrupted a conversation with him, and I was like, dude." You're amazing, bro. That was that was really good. You put a lot of heart into a comedy. Uh, there was a lot of heart in that comedy, and yeah. I, I enjoyed it. Thanks, JD. Uh, appreciate that, man. So this is Mike Young. That's Jay Davis. You know where to find him. Thanks for listening. Stories that need to be told. Jordy, we're out. Troy in the background lingering with camera, we're out. Thanks for listening. Uh, find me at Real Mike Young. Stories that need to be told on Twitter. I can't figure out what the letters are. S T T. Uh, Jordy will figure it out. Peace. <laughs>